This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We will have a very interesting episode. This is the second part with the guest. And in the first part, we dived into running and what makes a resilient runner. And we will continue from there. And we have a brilliant guest for this episode. He has done his movement and rehabilitation sciences degree at KU Leuven in Belgium. And he's working as a customer success manager at RunEasy which has created palm-sized 3D gate lab. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Philip Kortrind. Welcome, Philip, again. Hi, Oli. Thank you uh, for uh, this invitation. Yeah, perfect. So we could continue our discussion. Where, where do you want to continue it from? Yes, uh, so we talked about... Uh how we define a resilient runner. And uh, I have actually some very good results on or, or like uh, data from uh, recreational runners versus elite runners. What is the difference between these uh, specific populations? I think if we can go a bit deeper on this, that could be interesting. Yeah, so, sounds perfect. So yeah, the resilient runner um, or being a resilient runner uh, yeah, it has three three subcomponents like we uh, discussed in, uh, previously. So we have the load tolerance, how we tolerate the loads, how strong our body is. We have actually the good movement quality. So how well do we move during uh, running? And then we have like the resistance to environmental conditions and uh, fatigue. And actually what I can see in uh, the data that we collected till now is that I see actually on three yeah, three different parts, uh, big differences between more recreational runners versus really high-end elite runners uh, of uh, national to Olympic level. So what are the main differences that you have you have seen? Yeah, first of all, in the low tolerance, it's not something uh, we measured, but we can see clearly differences between uh, the t- two groups. First of all, yeah, elite runners, they mostly have already long ter- long training history. So they already did guide some high volume training, incent- intensity training, but also not from this only part. They also invest like mostly uh, a few years in strength training. So they have already some really long-term structural adaptations, which allows them to have a good load tolerance. So they have actually strong body. And I, I would guess that most of the recreational runners don't really do very good strength training for the running. They are just kind of doing general, maybe some apps, maybe some some movements from kind of what others are doing for strength training, but not maybe running specific strength training. Or how, how do you see the, the quality of strength training of recreational runners? Yes, very good question. So indeed, what uh, a lot of recreational runners do is, and I see two problems. The first one is, okay, consistency is a really important one. So if you train once in a while, it doesn't affect anything in in, in low tolerance or good movement quality. So I think one to two times uh, doing an additional strength training is very beneficial and is necessary to maintain 
and improve your uh, load tolerance and movement quality. So that's one big thing. And it's very individual. Eh? We see as there are recreational runners that are very consistent. But then the other problem is, okay, what do they do during their strength session? And uh, what most, eh, what I see most recreational runners do, and also from the past is, okay, we do a lot of core training. And okay, what do you do in core training? So think about uh, side planking, front planking. Okay, you have a high muscle activation in these core muscles. So you train a bit the capacity, the load tolerance in these muscles. Yeah, actually, these muscles are meant to really activate. Uh, It's important that these muscles, okay, they need to be strong, but they also need to be activated in a good way during the running movement, because they're, that's why we do core training. Eh? We want to have a more stable positioning, but just strengthening these muscles is not enough. You have to do a bit more on this side. And and how, how do you see that they should be done, that you actually have the transfer yeah. from the core training to good control during running? Yeah, so this is actually what I tried to achieve with uh, recreational runners that I guide in strength training, as well as in the elite runners. Training stability is you want to train the stability uh, or improve the stability during running in slow running, but also in fast running. So how do you build this up? Just doing core strengthening is mostly not enough. So uh, it's an important part to really first make the the muscles ready to do this high-end activity core stability training. But the most important thing is, of course, that you try to activate these core muscles at the right time during running. So how do I build this up? Is actually I give first like more an activation type of session where uh, not session or within the session. So some core exercise that activates the gluteal muscles, the abdominal muscles. And then I try to integrate it into more complex movements. So activate during, uh, think about lunges, uh, keeping... uh, the, the, the stability during uh, single leg uh, deadlifts. But even there, that's also not enough. I, I see differences between performing well in these type of exercises and keeping the stability during running. So what is the last step actually that I do in the training program? I try to make a transfer. So I try to have like, think about skip and holds. It's like holding a stick and that they really need to reactive stabilize the pelvis, and I sometimes see differences between athletes. So I give these type of exercises, um, skip and holds, but also going into running movements where they need to maintain uh, their core muscles. So running with a stick upward, running with a stick around the shoulders, because there we make it a bit more difficult for the core muscles to stabilize. So they really have to use the, the core muscles during these movements. And for me, I think this is also a necessary part to get a transfer into uh, the running. Yeah, that that really makes makes sense. And how do you see, I think many of the runners think that because you need to run two hours a day to become fit, uh, you also need to do in the gym like 100 apps. And how, how do you see the intensity versus volume? for example, in core training, that should you actually do really intense and only few repetitions or should you do really a lot as a runner? Okay, very good question. Um, So I think uh, in terms of stability training, I think uh, consistency is important. So uh, training enough challenges the system enough 
So that means two to three times a week core training. But of course, like you said, okay, we have also our uh, work-life balance and we can't invest too much time in also these core exercises. So I believe that you can already have a very good core program by just doing 15 minutes of a few exercises from the different areas I discussed before. First, activating the system, then do a bit more complex exercise and then go into more um, more dynamic uh, and reactive uh, stability work. And you can do that in 15 minutes if you want. Yeah. And and how do you see, you said, this kind of trying to transfer with the doing exercises, for example, with the stick. So how do you see the, the isolated app exercises versus, for example, like many people don't keep consider, but maximum deadlift. It's a very good core training. Like, yeah. how, how do you see like the isolated exercises versus the whole body exercises that are used the core intensively at the same time? Yeah, it's actually a good question. I think you need to consider the load on these type of exercises too. So when you do heavy strength training, of course we strengthen our core muscles too. So we don't think about uh, if you do a Romanian deadlift, uh, the lower back is uh, trained a lot in that session. So don't do like really low loading exercises afterwards on the lower back because it's already trained quite heavily. So I see that more as a core strength. So we we increase the capacity to to maintain our body segments during this uh, movement. Yeah, sounds good. So quite a bit of differences in the load tolerance between recreational and and elite runners. Uh, What else? So besides the low tolerance, we have, of course, the good movement quality. And actually, um, that's that's already what we talked about in terms of stability. So we see a big difference in stability um, in elite runners. So there are some key papers that looked at the same variable. And they saw that actually this is the metric that defines the difference between elite runners and uh, recreational runners. So they're they're able to maintain their pelvic position in a better way. So think about stability again. Actually, what we want to achieve is stability during running. We want to maintain, uh, or co- that's why we do core training. We want to have a, a good posture during running. We want to uh, keep our core uh, or uh, pelvic or pelvis uh, in, in a stabilized way during running. So mm-hmm. we also need to train in this way. So just doing this Core training alone or core strengthening doesn't directly reflect what will happen during running. So you have to do a bit more in dynamic exercises if you want to improve your stability during running, of course. And how, how do you see the the dynamic stability, the pelvic position? There's probably a lot of things affecting it, like contact time, the step width and core activation. It's probably very complex that what defines, what, what do you think? Is there some factor that is more important defining the difference between elite runners and recreational athletes? Or is it just all, all of these together? Yeah, so... It all depends on, okay, with a recreational runner, how fast does the runner run? Yeah? So when you do like a lot of sprinting, you have to f- you have to feel it. When you did a lot of sprinting, the day after you feel like, oh, my core muscles hurt. So core strength is really important there at high intensity sprints. But when you run slowly, it's not all about just, okay, how, f- how strong these muscles are, but how you can maintain that pelvis again. And it's, 
you don't need high load core strength to maintain that position. And it all depends on, okay, think about it. Like you said, step length is an important one. And if you make big steps, so you have a really low cadence, long ground contact time, you make big steps. And what is important there, okay, how is my mobility in this, in, in, in this uh, hip region and especially the extension mobility in the hips? So if there is a lack of st- mobility, then of course, it's harder to maintain that pelvic position. So what, what a person will do with a long or maybe too long step length in ground contact fight, so like a too long push-off, the person needs to rotate and uh, go in antiversion of the pelvis. So a great solution in this type of runner is actually to change the push-off to a sooner moment. Uh, so like the, that we change the moment where the push-off is happening. Mm. So that actually changes your ground contact time to a shorter ground contact time and probably also change to a higher cadence. And that's what we see actually with RunEasy is that what within these type of runners, we can clearly see that dynamic stability improves when we go into these small, shorter steps. Yeah, so basically changing the the impact or the propulsion earlier, how, how do you do that? Is it like the strong hamstring activation that you kind of kick the butt with your heel or, or how do you how do you cue people to do it that they they are capable of, of changing it sometimes it's very easy uh, it's i let us say it's sometimes complex to cue so mm. the, the 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 perfect cue doesn't exist but what we see with this okay cadence and ground contact time cueing can work very well and what you can do is uh like instead of focusing on yeah, parameters you can you can state for example you say okay think like you run on hot lava hmm. so in this case yeah you are going to make like some shorter steps and your contact times will decrease so this is maybe a more easy way to explain it to a recreational runner yeah so sounds interesting so so when you have recreational runner coming to you and you do the run easy measurement what what kind of things you usually usually find you might find the dynamic stability being what what are the kind of the most classic findings that you can you can improve in the in the running technique okay so um what we see with run easy so our data we see a lot of different kind of outputs we can see that every parameter is bad but we sometimes see like some correlations between parameters and one of these parameters are like um, is the dynamic stability. So a very compliant runner. And what do I define as a compliant runner? A runner that has a very long ground contact time is moving a lot through the, the, the knee joint, the hip joint. So it's dropping a lot. We can clearly see that they have most problems in maintaining a good stability. So we really want to improve this because this is, one uh, the parameter that can cause problems for this person so we try to make a shift in a simple way so and and this way you can cue so i think cadence can work uh, in this occasion that they uh, try to have a shorter ground contact time because also in research papers we can clearly see that core activation so the activation of the muscles are better when increasing the cadence at first contact, so like at the first contact, the muscle activation is already, so there is a kind of a pre-activation, let us say. So mm. just before contact, 
the core muscles are better activated. And in this way, they're able to better maintain that pelvic position during their stance phase. So starting to run with the higher cadence is is key for, for some runners, right? Yeah. So for more of the, the compliant runners. Yeah. And is, is there any any other kind of classic mistakes you see? Is, is there something kind of what you, you see often? Yeah. So what, what sometimes what we see very often uh, that is happening is actually, okay, we give the cadence cue to everyone. So I think it's very useful to see, first of all, okay, why should we increase the cadence? Uh, think, think about initial contact is a very interesting thing. Do we see an overstriding pattern or not? That's one important thing. If we see that, okay, queuing on cadence or ground contact time will probably help. But it's not always the case. And in some occasions, yeah, when a person is running very slowly, you can't expect to have a really high cadence because if you go into high cadence in, in a very slow, and, and I speak about very slow running in between eight to yeah, eight, maybe eight to 10K per hour. So in that range, then we should not always try to change that cadence to a higher number because for this speed we know that actually cadence is dependent on for 50 percent on your leg length so if you're a tall runner you should have a lower cadence and also that it's dependent on the speed you run so slower running of course it's normal to have a bit uh, lower cadence so we should not always change too much in the cadence because the response can completely different so the cadence is basically relative to the to the running running speed and you need to yeah indeed yeah and uh, if if I can go a little bit deeper on that so cadence um, yeah is actually representing your steps time uh, so your step time but you can also divide it into your ground contact time and flight time so in some occasions uh, what I can see in in some runners I've tested a few um, very good elite runners in this way is that we see that, um, yeah, they have a low cadence. But it's not because their ground contact time is very long. No, it's because their flight times are very long. So we just not only focus on that one parameter, which only represents a part of it. We also need to look in, in, the, in the individual component. What do I need to shift? Is it the ground contact time or the flight time? And for these elite runners, I try to make the shift in the flight time. So I want to reduce the flight time in submaximal speeds to reduce the impact to absorb. Yeah, that's that's interesting. But could you could you also consider that the flight time can be good because then you having longer steps. Is it good to always to shorten it? Yeah, if it's yeah. Long. So that's a that's a complexity. So yeah. it all depends on how fast do you run. So when you sprint, you want to have like a long aerial time, short ground contact time. Because if you have a too long contact time the braking forces are too big. You, you brake too much. So you want to produce as much as force as possible to have a long flight time. But in submaximal running, there is a balance. Yeah. And it all depends because flight time will help to achieve the leg return. So what we very often see in the elite runners is that the leg retraction is better compared to uh, a lot of recreational runners. And what do I define as leg retraction is actually the movement backward uh, just before initial contact. So there is a kind of backward movement of the uh, lower limb that will match a bit better the ground speed what they are running on. 
yeah sound, sounds interesting yeah so so we looked in the the low tolerance the movement quality do you have anything to add with the in relation to movement quality between between these these different two different groups yeah so besides the stability um we can clearly see also a big difference in impact absorption so i'm, I'm really fascinated by uh, the impact duration versus impact magnitude in the way we measure it is that what we see with elite runners is that their impact duration is quite long so Compared to a lot of recreational runners, we see that the impact duration is very short. So that was a major thing that I uh, saw when we tested recreational versus elite runners. And of course, if we can go a bit li- little bit deeper, of why? The first thing is, okay, the leg retraction. So a good leg retraction and just the position before initial contact is important. And then, of course, the intermus- intermuscular control between the different muscle groups plays a second vital role. And that's what we see in elite runners. Like you said before, eh? uh, the, 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 um, your uh, friend that was jumping, and you see the smoothness of that jump. Hmm. That's actually what we see the same with elite runners. They have a smooth transition, a smooth deceleration of their uh, pelvis during the impact phase. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be great help for us we have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes so be sure to tune in thank you all for your support and have a great day